Blog Talk Radio. Johnson, yours truly, the Gap Tooth Guru Gumbo. Back at it once again. We are live in the studio here at the house, in the kitchen. Uh, old school uh, still is the way, but as we try to grow and modern technology, and sometimes I have a very difficult time uh, trying to get all of these different um, types of streaming going, it, it's, it can be a challenge. It, it really can be. And I, I try to get things going and up and roaring, and then I get a little bit of a blowback because either this or that doesn't stream, and it gets frustrating. And I guess that's the old man in me. And I still need uh, somebody, uh, a young person, to uh, help me with how to do this whole, I guess, you know, show uh, in a way that I can utilize all of the platforms that you could possibly use and use them wisely in order to broadcast a show. But, you know, as I grow, I keep putting it out there. Hopefully I'll get some of you young folks, you know, you millennials that want to help a brother out, do a little HBO, helping the brother out, and uh, we can get this thing rolling on all pages. Having said that, this is a special edition of the Gumbo Talk Show. One, today is Thursday. I mean, excuse me, Sunday. And then two, um, it is 7.30. So any of you that have chosen to listen to this either now or later or on live now, appreciate you because this isn't the, uh, the typical day or time for the Gumbo Talk Show. So just like I appreciate you on Thursday nights for spending your time with me, I appreciate you on tonight for spending time uh, with me here on Block Talk USA and uh, Facebook Live. So those are the that's just what I wanted to share with each one of you uh, this evening. So hopefully. You can see the stream going up live on Facebook now, and you can hear us by phone as well. If you uh, would, I want to go down through some things this evening that uh, are on my mind heavily, 
And usually when something's on my mind, if I don't go ahead on and get it off, either one, I'll forget about it and not have the freshness of it to be able to clearly express what it was that was on my heart heavy at the time. And then two, um, sometimes things aren't as relevant later. And that can get in the way as well when it comes to uh, hot key issues, uh, things going on in the world uh, that we need to be cognizant of. So if you will, I have a few topics tonight I'd like to cover, and hopefully these things will, will help you as well as they've, uh, they've helped me realize some things about black people and the coronavirus. I uh, had an experience, if you haven't known uh, here lately, I was diagnosed with the coronavirus a couple of weeks ago. I spent about a week in the hospital. Um, I had a week at home. And I had a week in recovery. So I guess it's been a little over three weeks, um, close to four, that I've been dealing with the virus myself. And I talked about on my show Thursday a lot of the ins and outs of my own personal story around the coronavirus. Tonight I want to share with you a more um, communal, uh, national, um, socio-demographic view of the coronavirus. Now, the first thing that I want to go to is that 60% of the deaths from coronavirus are black people, okay? So when y'all see the numbers on TV and you're like, oh, that's a lot of people, and then you say, you know, okay, relative to the entire country, that really isn't that many people and that people survive, there is no doubt a majority, or overwhelming, 90-something percent of the people who contract this virus live. So, yes, less than, less than three out of ten, three out of, three out of 100, right there, less than three out of 100. You say you got no volume? That's crazy. That's crazy. I wonder if that's because I've got the phone line and the Facebook live thing going. That's that, that's that technology thing I was telling y'all about. I think, I think I'm young. I'm 42 years old. I'm getting, I'm getting into the realm where I can't do everything right. Um, but you can also listen to it on, on the nine Oh, excuse me, three, five, one, five, six, zero, five, nine, three, seven, five, and hear the show live that way. Um, we're going to try to see if we can get it back going through the computer. Trying to connect. I lost my connection on that doggone uh, Facebook Live. See what we can do here. Y'all bear with me a second. I've been having these issues with my Facebook for the last two months almost. 
just been kicking my butt to figure out how to get it all going smoothly. But 60% of the people who die from the coronavirus are black people. That is, to me, unnecessary. And it lets me know that the reason why I look on national TV and I see national um, politicians and doctors and all talk about this, that, and the third, and that, you know, it's not as big as an issue to to, to some and most and how the the this, that, and, and that is going to be, it's going to be okay. And, um, we, 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 we reopen. Um, these are the things we deal with. Yeah, it'll be more rates of higher people getting it, but it's really not as bad as it would, you would think it is. Um, there are, there are definitely, um, things in place uh, that are going to mitigate certain circumstances. Uh, don't, don't panic because, you know, we've got a, a vaccine coming and in, uh, you know, a matter of a few more months, even though that's quicker than some say it typically is done, and that young people uh, people under 65, people under 55 aren't really affected that bad. And, you know, I could keep going on and on and on about how they really try to say that if you don't have a health condition and you're not um, over 55, then you're good. You, 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 you don't have any, you won't have any real issues to deal with. Um, and then even if you are, or you do have uh, these things, um, it only increases your chances of, of, of death um, very little, maybe five to ten times. And I, <laughs> I look at it and I say to myself, you know, there is a sticky chance here that the reason why no one is really at arms about what's going on is because it's not really impacting their community. And I look back at all these different types of uh, conditions and issues that have plagued the, the country and, and people across the globe, um, especially just looking at the United States, right? And I look at the hot-button issues. The things that get attention are usually the things that impact the majority. So you don't see a real great big effort you don't see a great big effort to curb diabetes and hypertension. You do see a big effort for cancers and for heart disease 
and for Alzheimer's and for a lot of issues that hit on the majority very hard, but not a lot that hit on the minority. I mean, there are efforts. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's zilch. But when you look at the grand scale of things, and you would have to say, okay, what's getting the hot attention? One of the things right now is uh, opiate epidemic. But a lot of y'all remember when smack was huge in the ghettos in the 70s and 80s, and cocaine, well, not cocaine, crack, all these were, were, were hitting in the, in the 80s and 90s. The 70s was a little bit of cocaine, but 80s and 90s, the, the crack epidemic and the heroin epidemic was, was hitting the urban community hard. And, and there was very little effort to curb that, very, very little effort to curb that. And so we now have the same thing. It appears with this coronavirus. Why are they opening things and wanting people to go out and about and do their thing? You know why? I believe it's because they know that out of the 2 to 3% or so that are dying, I'm not, I don't know the exact percentage. I'm going to say 2 to 3% that are dying. Hmm? You take, away the, you take away black people and you take away the Mexican and you take away other people that are older that are probably going to die anyway. That's how they look at it. You know, they're going to die anyway soon. And that leaves a little a portion, a sliver of, of, of voting age white folks um, that survive. I mean, only maybe 20-something percent of them die. So that's like one out of five deaths already of them, if not less, are dying. That's why they're going around saying, you know, we're going to open back up. That's why you don't see many of them with masks. That's why we're we're sitting in a situation where it's like, okay, is this thing bad or is it not bad? Are Are we really, should we really be worried? Or is is it something that, you know, hey, maybe, maybe, I don't know, the, the, it's not really going to hurt us. So, and, and if it does, we'll just get a little cold-like like little symptom, and in a couple of weeks we'll be back. Uh, they'll give me and my business a boatload of money uh, to, to, to get through. Uh, so... I'm really not impacted all that much. I mean, they'll give me food stamps. I thought they'd get everybody in there. I applied and they didn't get me. But I'm sure that certain people will be able to get all of the access and privileges to the system that is set up for them. They will take a hit, but it will be nominal when it comes to actual impact that it has made on their lives. Nominal. The least amount of impact possible will will hit them. 
Okay. Well, since the nominal and the least amount of impact hits them, why should they care? They don't care about us anyway. So why are we why do we have our panties in a bunch over something that uh, it doesn't really impact us that, that much? Let them black folks and Mexicans and other people deal with it. But, oh, by the way, we control the government, so we are going to um, be able to, you know, mitigate most of these, these circumstances when it comes to, to, to really pushing, uh, helping with this. Because once this economy thing opens back up, y'all, and I'm still on, only on the first key issue. Once the economy opens back up and, and people, more and more people, like we're seeing the numbers increase, okay, and then they try to see if it occurred with the number of deaths, um, but if the deaths don't impact um, the people in the majority, if it, if it doesn't change and impact the people in majority, like, like it probably will, but maybe not because right now it's not showing us that um, that's even realistic. It's only really hitting us hard. Then they're going to keep it rolling, and those that are that have the health issues and those that are dying, if they remain to be people of color, especially black people, we there, there isn't. It's not going to change. You, you're going to see more and more people wearing less masks because I'm telling you, if it if it would kill you, and it doesn't kill them. They don't care. Which brings me to another point. This thing must be treated just like police brutality and police murder um, on the streets of our community because that's another issue that with you can see it as recent as what, in the last couple of weeks or, or the last couple of days, black folks still getting killed by white police officers unarmed over either minor traffic violations. Now, I get it. Some people do stupid stuff during a traffic violation, and they put themselves at risk. Not much we can do about that, because you should know by now, if you are there with a police officer and something is going down, um, you ought to know in 2020 that you are going to end up on the short end of the stick of anything going on between the police and a black man. So if you know this, and you know that people aren't really nationally getting behind any kind of major campaign that's going on, there's a lot of major things. Uh, Jay-Z with the NFL, that hasn't stopped anything, because the NFL ain't even playing. They don't even have any spring games or, you know, combines going where you can you know, and then getting ready for the fall. They're, yeah, they're going to be football. They don't even know if they're going to have people in the stands, okay? So even though that's a sport that makes a major impact on everybody, um, th- th- their key issue right now isn't black people. Their key issue is getting them games back on TV and how they're going to make money off of uh, us to keep these million-dollar, uh, billion-dollar teams rolling. And trust me, if these guys, you know, save this um, 
$200,000 a game checks and more, I'm sure, millions of dollars they make a game, they're, they're resting in their mansions. They're going to be all right. If they live in check to check, making millions a year, then, you know, so be it. But I don't, I don't make millions. I don't live check to check. My mom, and, my mom and daddy taught me way better than that. But come on, issues, these, these things that are, are, seem to be natural across the board, I'm telling you all, they aren't really the case. So you, you'll have a lot of the problems that you see continue to be perpetrated or purported because it isn't impacting the powers that be. And so why, why should anyone care any more or any less if police brutality and police murder haven't really grown on people? Why should this coronavirus? Now I want to talk about the health thing I was talking about. It's a term called comorbidity. And comorbidity just simply means you got sugar and you got high blood pressure and you got high or high blood, that's what they call it, high blood, and, and you might have some clogs in your arteries, which we call hypo, uh, hypercholesterolemia, which means you got a lot of cholesterol, plaque buildup in your arteries. Okay, those are top three things for us black folks, which lead to us having strokes and heart issues, and, of course, issues related to losing um, limbs and things of that nature um, with restriction of, of uh, blood flow with dealing with diabetes. So those top three things. When you hear the term comorbidity, that's what that means. you got cold things, more than one thing that causes death. Morbidity is death. So if you have any three of those things, or other things, like a lot of black folks have COPD because you grew up in a household with parents smoking. Now, this doesn't just go, this doesn't go black people. I know white people got it, but we're talking about black folks. You know, you grew up and people smoked in the household. People smoked in the car when you went on trips. It was just a thing, you know, in the 60s and 70s and 80s. It was not a big deal, even the 90s, for your parents to smoke with a baby in the car. They didn't think that, you know, smoke would impact folks, but we have a lot of folks with COPD. Now, here's the other thing. We live, I'm going to join this ECJ issue, environmental and climate justice issue with this right here. Majority of the people, 80% of the people who live around plants that burn coal are black people, people of color. If you go out west, it's more the Indian and Mexican. But for the most part, in urban environments, in environments where there are major plants that burn coal and other chemicals are produced, the, the area around those places are majority black. So we breathe in that bad air. Of course, they tell us that air is just fine, but we know that the majority of the people in our neighborhood, young and old, got asthma or got a pump. So if you've got uh, an albuterol inhaler or a pump or whatever, or you need to use a nebulizer, that's another comorbidity thing. Okay, so if you have any of those things, and then we're not even including cancer, um, uh, MS, 
and some of these other conditions that we have, or Parkinson's, all these other things that affect our bodies. We're just talking about the ones that most of us are walking around with that probably aren't even taking medication, but we should be for it every day, okay? That puts you in a category of high risk. I happen to have three or four of them. Oh, let's not forget about obesity. That's another one. Okay, so y'all know me. I'm a fat dude, and I've got breathing problems. I've got, I got uh, diabetes, hyper, you know, I've got all those things. So I've always been diligent about this doggone coronavirus, right? I've never taken it lightly. Well, when we look at all of these rates of things going willy-nilly with our bodies, and we say, okay, mm, there might be an issue with uh, black folks with all these health conditions as the reason why they're dying at higher rates. We might have a problem. Well, yeah, we do. And, and the problem with that is how seriously – have we as black folks taken our health? How seriously have we taken our health? I mean, I know that we have lots and lots of problems, but we continue to keep our problems problems because we don't address them. And as you see, mixed with all of the racial tension, the environmental tension, with the climate tension, with the, with the criminal justice thing, which we're going to get into in a minute, the criminal justice element, and all these elements that impact us heavily, but not the majority, hence people don't really care to put a lot of money into reform of these things, we're left with just another thing that can kill us. Now, we sit back and we say, well, we've been going this long, and we can beat it. Well, we haven't been beating diabetes, et cetera, et cetera, and a cashmere sweater. Now we have coronavirus. It seems like a perfect weapon to kill us. Because if we're 60% of the rate of death, but we only make up less than 15% of the population, right there tells you it's a four-time more likely thing. 15 times four is 60 all day. How do we make up less than 15%, but we make up 60% of the death nationally? Our population total is around 13.5% of the total of the United States. That puts us at 30-something, um, almost 40 million people out of 350. But yet 60% of us are dying from this virus. I don't know how many of us, as we move into this criminal justice aspect, as another thing, as a problem with this virus, um, I don't know how many of us are in prison. It's like two-something million. I know that the United States makes up, the, the prison population in the United States makes up like 
20, 25, 30%, somewhere between 20 and 30% of the total incarcerated people out of the entire world. Now, remember, we only are 300 and 350 million people in the U.S., okay? If there's 350 million in the U.S. and there's 7 billion people in the world, that means we're like only one-fifth, is that right? One, let's see, three, 7 billion is double 350 or 3.5 billion. And one-tenth of 3.5 billion, yeah, we're 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 five percent. Is that right of the world? Yeah, yeah. Three hundred fifty million is five percent of the world. Yet we have twenty five percent of the incarcerated individuals of the entire world in our prison systems. Guess who makes up a majority of the people in the prison systems? You'd guess it. It's not a problem to have twenty five percent of the world's population incarcerated in your country when your country only makes up 5% of the entire population of the globe because those people in the prisons don't look like the majority of the people in your country. And if you don't believe that coronavirus is real and is real on a, on a realm that far exceeds what we can understand or even comprehend as a perfect weapon, another weapon, an additional thing to kill us, and yet they know we're not going to take it serious, and we got a way, they've got a way to knock off another vast amount of us and then blame it on Chinese people. Listen, Chinese folks have been doing their Chinese thing for a very long time. The thing I don't like about China is how they treated my Nigerian brothers and sisters after this epidemic as if they were the cause of it and they had somebody to blame because you know what? The rest of the world blames black people. Donald Trump blames black people, blames Barack Obama for every single problem. If he don't have toilet paper in the Oval Office, it's because Barack Obama's administration didn't have a stockpile of Charmin left for him, and now here it is, 2020. He's been in office four years, and he don't have no TP. If he don't have any uh, cold bottles of water in the refrigerator, it's Barack Obama's administration's fault because they should have had cold water ready for the next president for at least four years stocked up. You see that kind of bullshit? Don't make any sense to me, but it makes sense to some people. And if, they, if it makes sense to them and they're the majority, then they don't care that all these black folks that are in prison stacked up on top of one another have no ability to keep away from one another. How are they going to get masks? How are they going to get, how are they going to social distance? You got two men to a cell. You got people in these big old dormitory halls. You know, you got a dormitory hall. If it is, let me say, a thousand square feet, this dormitory hall, if it's a thousand square feet, they gonna have, you know, twenty beds in there. Because it's gonna be bunk beds. It might be more than twenty. Let me see. Thousand. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Twelve times. Yeah, twenty five to thirty people and a thousand square feet, and then a couple of commodes and a couple of shower stalls, and, and that's it. And how you going to do when your commodes are three feet apart from one another, and there's no walls, there's no partitions like you see in, a, in the bathrooms at Walmart, everything wide open, right? How you gonna, how you going to separate 
from from people when when you got you got that that kind of living quarters. And guess what? One person gets it. And if you're trying to stay six feet away, how are you going to stay six feet away when you bump two feet away from one another? And this joke of coughing and everything, and, you know, you know, you only have so much sheet that you can put on you, and there's so many things you can touch. Where the soap at? Yeah, they give you a little bar of soap to bathe with, but ain't that much soap. Ain't no hand sanitizer, you know. There's no, there's no real, you can't take that many baths because you can, but you don't get nothing but one set of clothes a week, that one set of drawers and that one jumpsuit a week. You don't get no socks. I'm going to give you socks, but we're talking about you got to wash your own. What you going to wash them with? The same one bar of soap you get every week that you got to use now to wash your hands and to wash your ass. I'm not talking about no bar of Dove or Lever 2000. I'm talking about them bars that look like the size of a hotel bars of soap. But trust me, it's no good soap. It's just S-O-A-P. That stuff won't bubble for nothing. Ain't no, ain't no tiny bubbles on that soap, okay? You, you got all these people in these, these living quarters on top of one another, and you don't have any kind of weighted distance. And then somebody gets sick, guess what? The whole dorm is going to get sick eventually, unless somebody's got a real strong immune system. Do they have healthy items? Do they give you fresh fruit and uh, fresh produce to eat? No. No. The commissary, I, was, I got a cousin who's locked up. I had to send him some uh, care package the other day, day before yesterday, because I just found out he was locked up. And if I'd have known, I'd have been sending him a little something, you know. But I just found out, so I sent him some stuff. They ain't got nothing but junk food to give them. And I know that's what they want when they're locked up. But that's all they got. They didn't have no healthy options. Just trust me, if I could have sent him some apples and some oranges and, and one of the packages that they offer, I would have. But they don't have that. And so you've got, you got it set up for them to not be immunally um, capacitive where they could fight it off themselves. And then the living conditions are such that you're going to die if anybody has any kind of communicable disease in there anyway. So you have now created another perfect storm to take out people of color, especially black folks, because in there, they ain't going to do anything extra for them. If you look, at, look up the Cook County jail coronavirus epidemic, Harrison County coronavirus, look up all of these major counties. Those are the two I know of for sure. But you look up their rates of, of looking at how these people are, I'm pretty sure L.A. County, of all these people in these jail systems. It's not even the prison systems, because they can hide the prison system numbers, but it's hard to hide the jail system numbers because people go in and out of that. And, and that yet is another way that it's knocking off a lot of people of color. And then let's go to this next one, the black reluctancy of accepting facts. We hear things on TV, and yes, TV has lied to us. Yes, the mainstream has lied to us. But it's up to you to decipher the truth out of all of the information given so that you can determine what facts are. And for me, I look at news when I want to. I don't look at it that often. But I have to go through and decipher and I have to go through and research to see what these pontificates are talking about as if it's true or not. And a lot of it is jargon, but some of it has truth. So I can go and dip and delve and find the treasure of truth in there 
but I still have to research and dig to get it. But that's okay. I, I, if, I, if that's what I have to do, that's, that's just what I have to do. But the point is, is we have lots and lots of information. A lot of us aren't taking it in readily to say, hey, look, this could be a problem. Let's start addressing it. And then our reluctancy to be able to take the information, share it with others because we don't know if it's true. And then the other thing is, is that there's a whole lot of other stuff to talk about that, that tickles our fancy other than these hot-button issues, and then we're left with still being behind the curveball. And by the time we really start waking up to it, yeah, we've lost soldiers to the battle. Now, another issue I want to talk about with black folks versus coronavirus is our necessity to socially gather. We are a social gathering people. If somebody graduates from kindergarten, we want to throw a barbecue. If, you know, you, got, you work this week and you got 20 hours of overtime and you know what, you're able to pay the bills and you got an extra $150, we're going to get some meat, throw it on the grill and invite folks over, and we're going to get a couple bottles of liquor, and we're going to all get towed up and full on Friday night, maybe even Saturday night too. If we have... Uh, we learn that somebody in our family um, beat some kind of health condition, we're going to party. If it's a birthday, we're going to party. If it's your birthday month, we're going to party. If, if such and such say they're going to quit drinking, we're going to party. If such and such say they're going to start drinking, we're going to party. I mean, we can come up with anything to have a good time, and we need it. We need it. And I, I know it. I'm, I'm black. I like to gather sometimes with people I like to be around, my friends, and get together. And there's nothing like it. Eating and doing whatever we want to do together as friends and then spend the weekend or two, two three days on a retreat and then come back home refreshed and getting ready to plan to do it again. Ain't nothing like it. What about them little road trips you and the family take on the weekends? It's just y'all and y'all drive to to Dallas or Memphis or New Orleans, Houston or Austin or San Antonio. I'm just talking about us hot here in East Texas. You know, you might even get bold and take a flight to New York or something, you know, for a three-day weekend if you got the bread or go to Atlanta, Georgia, or, or take a trip to Miami, you and the girls. Uh, you and the fellas go to Vegas. You know, these, these kind of trips, right? This is this is socially gathering. This is us being together. We love it. The problem is, with this kind of virus, if we're not protecting one another when we're in the presence of one another at these family gatherings, at these hangouts, at these uh, get-togethers, these kickbacks, then we're putting each other at more risk because we can get it from each other, and that is not a good thing because now we have the risk of getting big mama sick. And you know when we talk about comorbidity, you've got to say the word, because you're going to hear all this language that's dog whistles to say it's not talking about us, we're talking about them, when they talk on TV. And that comorbidity with big mama with her, you know she had already lost a few toes, 
okay, from diabetes. Now, sugar's out of whack. Again, high, high blood pressure is up. Uh, her her, her, her um, cholesterol is up. She's had two or three heart surgeries. Uh, she's had a couple of strokes, um, this, that, and the third. You know, she's 85 years old. And then here you are out hanging, and you come visit Big Mama. Guess what you do? Guess what we do? We hug each other and we kiss each other. Now, Big Mama got coronavirus in a couple of weeks, and she dies in a week after that. And everybody wondering how she got it. You. So if we we know we're a social gathering of people, we've got to take all of the elements in that we need to and all of the things that will help us survive so that when we do our social gathering and we leave from there, we survive. Now, let's look at the income disparity. We've been blessed to have folks because of my condition the last few weeks and people that love us to bless us with masks and gloves um, just to help so my family wouldn't be able to, wouldn't, wouldn't gain this virus, right? And so that if we go out, we don't put anybody else at risk if we do have it still. But look at the people for the majority in our communities. If they had to go buy a box of cereal or a package of ground beef, if they could find it, versus buying some masks and some gloves, gloves not so much, but buying masks, they're not going to buy these masks. Is there anybody out here that's just giving masks away? I was listening to um, some people talk about one of my old organizations and how the new leadership was looking at selling tests for corona. And it got a lot of people's panties in a bunch, and it should because that's wrong. But I'm just wondering why they didn't have an effort to, to buy masks and give masks away. That's the thing that the black community needs. If you get on a corner or get on a place, a hot location, and you're giving masks away to people that come through, just give everybody two masks that come through there, and you tell them, hey, look, you know, use these. It's going to protect others from you. And if everybody uses it, you know, you give a little education with it, you know, and then tell them who it comes from. I mean, if you got the ability to screen print, Put a little print or get a little printing company, print a little, print the little name of your organization on the bottom of the mask so that people know where it came from. It's free. And get your word out there. But you got to give this stuff away. I don't understand why they don't do that. Because our community is not going to be able to, when it comes to the economic disparity that we have with the rest of the people in this world, in this country, because of the type of jobs we get and because of the type of jobs that <laughs> Excuse me, that they won't give us, um, that they give their, you know, nepotistic family and friends, um, we, we, we can't afford, many of us, to put the budget on mass. We just can't. I know people try to say they can, but if you're already struggling to eat and you're riding around with only a quarter tank or less of gas in your car, like many people do, you know, you can't afford $5.00. Um, out of pocket. And then if they do get a mask, how long are they going to use that mask? How good is that mask after two or three weeks, right? You got one, you're trying to make that one last for two or three weeks? Who's teaching you how to properly use the mask, how to properly put it on and not touch it and 
Make sure that it's sealed around your nose and your mouth and stuff. Who, who, who's teaching them? Right? Folks got these masks on. I see them at the store, and it's only covering their mouth. They nose out like their nose is is not part of their respiratory system. It's crazy. Or they got it pulled all up and hyped up and it's all bunched up and, you know, it's not really stopping anything. So the economic disparity limits us from being able to access a lot of the things that we need that are readily available to somebody who just makes five or $10,000 more than us. Isn't that, isn't that amazing that we don't think about the economic disparities? We don't think about how many people live in low-income housing who are struggling each month. Okay, they do get food stamps. Yeah, that's right. But still, that food stamps helps them to get food. Not everybody is taking advantage of food stamps. And then a lot of people run out of food at the end of the month with the food stamps, and they still struggle. But let's just think about them. And the last couple of things, um, we can talk about diet. Let's talk about the diet. Um, dietary habits. I talked about it earlier about the produce and stuff when we're talking about people incarcerated and can't get to them. But what about us? If you've been to an, an urban grocery store or a grocery store in a predominantly black area, and then you go to one in a predominantly white area, you're going to see the disparities in the fresh produce. I don't know if these places do it on purpose, but the good-looking produce is cross-town. I go into Albertsons and look at their produce out on the loop, I go into the Gilmer Road little fresh little grocery store, Walmart, and then I come over here on uh, High Street and the Super Warm there, and I look at the produce and the options of produce, and I just shake my head because it's funny how their greens are so green over there, and the greens over here is so brown and wilty. I know they all got the same kind of machines that blow the water on it, but I wonder who is the, in the, in the distribution centers, who's deciding what produce goes where? How come there hasn't been another Albertsons built on this side of town? We only got one Albertsons. We got one Kroger. It's kind of in the middle. Kroger got good produce. People could shop at Kroger. But if you don't have a Kroger card, Kroger's high as a giraffe's ass. And with the, with, with the card, a lot of items are high. And guess why? Because people know, these psychology marketing people, know they can price point certain people from shopping in their stores to keep their customers happy and segregated from certain people because they know that certain people of a certain economic level, if a person makes under $20,000, it's unlikely they're going to pay, buy this bok choy, right? But if a person makes over $50,000 a year, it's more than likely they're going to come shop in the store and not have a problem with the price of the, um, the radishes, you know? So these things called food deserts exist. You can get ramen noodles and all kinds of prepackaged and processed goods at the stores in the black community 
And some of those items you don't even see in the other stores. And vice versa. Which leads me to my last point tonight. Well, we could talk about urban versus rural real quickly before I get to the last point. Urban versus rural. We've got to stop listening to the majority. We've got to start remembering where we come from. We were originally people who lived in rural areas, and then we created our own communities in rural areas, our own communities. But we were, uh, nevertheless, our, our first growth came from living rurally and having our own little things with our own little land, and we all shared and bartered with one another, and we had our thing going on, but we lived in the country. And everybody rushed into the city because some people had to because they wouldn't give us loans during after World War II, like the VA. They didn't give black folks the VA loans, but they gave them white folks those VA loans, which started suburbs and started people having houses in, in neighborhoods. And we were left to live in, in uh, on top of one another in housing structures because that's what we could afford. Well, <laughs> Now, folks are gentrifying to come back into the urban areas and pushing black folks out, and we've been reluctant. Well, let me tell y'all something. If we went back to country living, when all these folks want to come in and buy up our property on the inner city, and we went ahead and sold it, you know, plus 20%, 25%, whatever we get on top of it since they want it so bad, some people got 100% more and bought land out in the rural areas and commuted back into the city. <laughs> our rates of infection and our rates of morbidity dealing with a lot of the conditions we have would be a whole lot less because we'd have more exercise working on our property. I'm just, I'm just going down through it how this thing, man, we got to stop fighting what's natural I would love to live out in the country in a black area where in the surrounding, you know, 10 miles, 20 miles, and nothing but black folks, but we all got a few acres of land. And I'm not talking about one or two. I'm talking about everybody got 20, 50 acres of land. And we just, when we get together, we have a good time. But we out there, we, 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 we police ourselves, and we take care of each other in the country because we all got our own little distancing. Because these rich folks that live in these mansions, they distance themselves all the time. They don't go out. They send people. They got staff. They they live basically by themselves. They ain't a whole lot of people visiting them because they don't like them. I'm talking about them. Folks don't like each other. But we got to remember that urban is what's killing us because we're on top of one another, and rural is the rural has always been the best way. Now, lastly, what are we at? 621, we're doing pretty good. I wish that my technology was up. It says I'm streaming. I don't know if it's streaming on Facebook or not, but <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully, one of these days between these shows, I'll get this thing together. But my last topic, as I'm talking to y'all out there um, in Blog Talk USA, Blog Talk Radio, is the PTSD and race conditioning. The post-traumatic slave disorder, for many of you whose, you know, heritage 
is of the slavery background. Every one of us, we don't have slavery as the background for our our particular uh, history. Not every black person has becomes a descendant of slaves. But since we grew up around one another, we all are impacted the same way by the thinking of the slave mentality. And then when I mention the conditioning, I, I mean that a lot of us will listen to white folks before we listen to anybody else. A lot of us believe what white folks tell us is the truth, and all black folks do is lie. Well, I'm here to tell you that you need to be careful. The, 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 the strategy of trauma from an oppressor, let's put it this way. I, I, I've sat on the boards of domestic violence and women's centers and things before because I'm just not into a man putting his hands on a woman. You know, unless it's love, you know. Um, and these these guys who beat on women have an MO. It usually stems from an emotional abuse at first, and you don't quite understand that emotional one. And then the emotional turns into a psychological abuse. And you, it's hard to, hard to really process that one, too. And then the emotional and, and psychological turns into a, uh, a control mechanism. And then when the control mechanism doesn't work with a mixture and a combo of all these other seemingly minor abuses, physical abuse comes in. And by the time the physical abuse comes in, a lot of women feel like this is the only way he can express how he loves me because he he doesn't know any better. And maybe this is the reason why he was treating me like he was treating me all this time leading up to it. And what did I do to trigger him to hit me? And it must be something that I'm not doing right and I need to help him from himself. And I'm just looking at that as one of the adages that leads up to to domestic violence between men and women. And and if I take elements of that and mix them with how black people get information and then how we process that information over the years from the people who give us the information and then tell us what it means and how it doesn't necessarily mean that it's for our good, but it's I mean, for our individual good, but it's for our collective good. You, you need this, this ass from me to get you in line because 
we need to be on one page. So this ass whooping is like correction because you know you're not my mate. You're you're I have to take care of you. So I'm taking care of you. You're not responding like I want you to respond. So this is an this is a corrective measure. Don't you understand everybody needs correction? And when we look at that, we now have a beast of trauma. And then it might turn into a lifestyle. And that lifestyle turns into a full way of life for some women and for many black people. Because we look at what we've been getting beat down, but they tell us we're do, they're doing it for correction. They, they, they tell us that where we are is because of our fault. And we tried to tell you how you could get there, but you just didn't listen. They don't talk about all the emotional and the psychological and for us as black folks, economic abuses that we suffer. They don't tell you about the backstory because let me tell you, everybody's intentions are for our best interest. So, if we look at how that tra- trauma over the years has built up, and it's been a long time, and, and you get to believe in the person that's beating you is beating you beca- because you did wrong, and then they, they show that you inherently are wrong just because you were born a certain color and you're predisposed to being a certain way, as if that's so. Um, and, and there's nothing else. This is the way it's going to be. This is not the way it has to be. The change begins with us. We are one people still. And even though we have different um, uh, methods that we've been raised in, and like I said, we could be different from birth, we still are connected. We are one nation under a group. And if we don't start waking up, to realizing that black people have the power to save black people, that churches, yes, they need to be open, but I hope they're practicing social distancing. My God, standing next to one another. Yeah, you're praying, but you're breathing on one another without a mask on. It's uncalled for. But we need to be gathering in our churches, and we need to be gathering in places where we're strategizing of how to beat this virus. I would be more than glad to speak to anybody individually about my circumstances and about the knowledge that I've gained and all the medicines I've taken and how these things impact somebody with comorbidity rates. Anytime you want me to come on any kind of episode of a podcast, a show, or come visit, I'm willing. I always have been. So this is just another thing I can talk about. But God bless you all for this Sunday night. Spend a little time with me here on the Gumbo Talk in this special edition. For the Facebook folks, I wish that it worked out, but it didn't. And, and I'm streaming, so I'll be able to save this video. I'll post it on Facebook, and I'll also post the audio clip from Blog Talk US. I want to thank all of y'all that are on the phone lines. I see you and the ones that got on and got off. As you can see, I'm able to talk a little bit more without having to cough and get my breath, so each day I'm getting stronger, and I'm thankful to God for giving me that strength. God bless y'all, and have a good evening. Okay?